Welcome back to Doc's Talk Story, where we share the journeys, accomplishments, typical day, and advice of doctors practicing here in Hawaii. My name is Carissa, and I'm going to be your host for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have Dr. Kyle Chen, an orthopedic surgeon at Orthopedic Associates of Hawaii and an assistant professor at the Johnny Burns School of Medicine. Dr. Chen attended medical school here at the University of Hawaii, continued on to residency at the University of Washington, and completed a sports medicine fellowship at the Southern California Orthopedic Institute. Good afternoon, Dr. Chen, and thank you for taking the time to join us today. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? So in terms of <clears throat> like where I'm from and mm-hmm. how I ended up um, going into this crazy business, um, so I was born and raised in Wahiawa. I don't know if you guys know where that is, mm-hmm. um, out in the pineapple fields on Oahu. And, um, and uh, I'm a son of a police officer and a public school teacher, and I went to public school my whole life. I uh, was going to be a school teacher. Um, I got to UH and um, went to my graduation thing in your junior year where they were like, what do you want to be? And for some reason that day I said I wanted to be a doctor. And <laughs> so then they're like, well, you have to take this test called the MCAT. I didn't really know what that was. And so they're like, well, you better take it because I think it was in like March when they had this credit count thing. And I think you had back then you only could take it like twice a year. It was like oh. April and November or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I had like six weeks to take it. So I like bought this Kaplan book and then just read it and then rolled in and took this MCAT and somehow got a decent score and then applied to medical school and got in. And mm-hmm. so then now here, here I am and I'm doing orthopedics. Nice. Um, how and why did you decide to go into orthopedics? Oh, I mean, the cliche answer is I broke a ton of bones when I was a kid and I saw them more than my you know, pediatrician, but that's probably not true. Um, I think... Um, it's a really different field mm-hmm. um, in comparison to, I think, a lot of a lot of what you guys see in medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, we're essentially kind of, uh, we're engineers slash um, construction workers slash anatomist, right. you know, and so I really, really, really liked anatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at anatomy in medical school as probably the only thing that I was going to learn that would never change. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like you guys, you guys have Robins and stuff like that, and you guys are, you know, neck deep in that. I mean, you could, you might look at that in thirty years or twenty years, and uh, you know, a fourth of that might be wrong, right. you know, or they or they change it right. But to me, like the radial nerve will always be where the radial nerve is, mm-hmm. you know. And then there's always going to be a certain percentage of variations, and I know what all those variations are. Mm-hmm. And so I liked anatomy because it was very predictable. It kept people out of trouble. If you knew where stuff was, you never got into it. And um, and I kind of grew up working with my hands and commercial fishing and hunting and. Um, I used to work as a mason in the summers and then oh. construction and all this kind of stuff. So it just kind of fit. It was, you know, right. construction and anatomy. Yeah. And so that's why I liked it. That's cool. Um, even though you seemed pretty set on ortho, did you consider any other specialties <laughs> along the way? Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, they always kind of tell you guys when you're in medical school, right? It's okay, you got to decide if you like the clinic or if you like the OR, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sure everybody's told you that. And they say, then if you kind of like the blend, then you go into OB or urology because it's kind of both. Um, I would say that's probably false, just being an orthopedist now, because I, the majority of my time is seeing people in clinic. Oh, but okay. I still, I'm, I'm still a surgeon at heart. I think to answer your question, you know, well, did I consider other things? I tried to keep an open mind, but um, like internal medicine drove me insane because it was just, um, 
you know, I'm going to try to treat problems that's going to take 20 years to actually see the fruition of. And I kind of wanted to fix something, have mm -hmm. it peel and then be done. Right. Um, and then, so I, I just tried to keep an open mind. Okay, maybe family medicine's okay and stuff. You know, OB. And I kind of like gynoc. That was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to my second year, took my step one. And then that's kind of when I realized, okay, I probably, you know, I, I did really well in the step one. And, you know, you guys are all, you're freaking out about that. You went, you guys pretty soon, right? When is that? May. May, yeah. May. Right, yeah. So you guys are panicking right now, right? <laughs> um, and so I took step one. Um, I, I killed it. And, um, and then I realized, okay, I can do whatever I want, right? So I can do dermatology. I can do radonc. I can go do plastic surgery. I can do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So then I set up all these little electives to be like, okay, I'm going to try to talk myself out of ortho. Because if I can't talk myself out of ortho, then that means I should do it. Because I know orthopedics, is, it's a rough residency. It's mm -hmm. a lot of call. It's a lot of slogging it out. It's a surgical residency, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, five years plus whatever fellowships you're going to do, right? Mm -hmm. And then if I'm going to do that, well, maybe I want to do cosmetic plastic surgery. Maybe I want to do ENT. So I did, I did dermatology rotations. Drove me insane. Second, it's after second day, looking at skin just drove me absolutely nuts. Um, did plastic surgery. After, you know, the, the third boob job you see, you're just like, this is disgusting. I don't ever want to, like, <laughs> manipulate a woman's body ever. Uh -huh. Like, I, you know, I think it's perfect the way it was built. So I hated plastic surgery. Then I would run into rat onk and everybody dies. And then, you know, all this other kind of stuff. So I couldn't talk myself right. out of it. So that's how I ended up in orthopedics. But I considered other things based upon some surgical but also lifestyle, mm -hmm. you know. So I looked at, well, I can be a dermatologist rub some prednisone cream on a couple of people and go home at two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, but. Um, so you mentioned that the training pathway for ortho is kind of rough. What is the process of becoming an ortho surgeon? So uh, most of your residencies are going to divide up into surgical, non-surgical, right? Mm -hmm. And so most of your non-surgical residencies are going to be three years, give or take, right? Mm -hmm. So internal medicine, family medicine, ER, stuff like that. Then you got the kind of weird ones that are gonna be like anesthesia, radiology, which are gonna be three or four, somewhere around there. And then anything surgical is gonna pretty much be five, except neurosurgery is somewhere between seven and nine, depending on where you go. Mm -hmm. um, so orthopedics is five years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they always split up intern year and then four years of ortho, but most are what we call categorical, meaning you get in and it's five years at the same place, mm. okay? They have some non-categorical ones, so like for example, anesthesia, where you do an intern year somewhere and then you do your two or three years elsewhere. So it depends how they're structured. Um, so it's five years of uh, your general orthopedic residency, mm -hmm. and then it's um, whatever fellowship you want to do after that. In general, fellowships are about one year, unless you're going to do a research track, then they tend to be two years. And so I did five years of my orthopedic residency, then I did a um, one-year sports medicine fellowship. Cool. Um, so you kind of touched on this when you mentioned that your step one score was really good, but how competitive is the field? It, it's very mm -hmm. competitive. Um, I think nowadays it's getting even harder to get in with a 99th percentile score just because everybody has research, everybody has extracurricular, everybody was a college athlete, mm -hmm. everybody was as amazing as ever, right? Mm -hmm. And, um... So I think you got to be a well-rounded person. I think, you know, I've interviewed for the residency here for now seven years. I, read, I, I was part of the interview committee as one of the residents when I was at my residency itself. So I interviewed a lot of prospective residents, and I look at these 
I look at these applications and they're just out of the park, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like the, these step one scores are just getting higher and higher and higher every year. Like everybody's getting smarter or the test is getting dumber, one of the two, <laughs> right? And now apparently you guys are going to go pass fail, which right. I don't totally understand how the heck you're going to pick somebody. Um, because the reason why they pick high test scores is because it predicts your passage of your boards. That's And it just, pred- it. our boards are extremely hard. Mm. And so... If you look at our boards compared to a lot of other subspecialties, we have probably one of the most rigorous boards. Like you have to pass two steps of a board, oral board, case reviews, and then I have to reboard every seven to ten years. Wow. Like, and I actually have to do like an oral board with case submission. Like oh. internal medicine, you guys take a, I don't know if you guys are in internal medicine, but if you're in internal medicine, you take a written exam every ten years, mm-hmm. you send it in. So that's the reason is it selects for a very high IQ. Mm-hmm. Um but it's also very demanding, and so I think it's um, I think it's just one of these things where the the specialty itself selects for that. But it's also it's a well paying it's a high paying specialty, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what you guys will f- understand the real reality of as you guys go forward is wow, like dermatology is really competitive because you work thirty something hours a week and you make pretty good money for what you do, mm-hmm. right? And so, wow, I'm going to do derm. And then all of a sudden, that gets real competitive because mm-hmm. every derm program is going to want to pick the best, right. right? So competitive residencies attract higher, you know, higher scores. And so mm-hmm. it is competitive. I would say, you know, year on year. I mean, I don't know if it's ever slumped be- beneath the top five. I mm-hmm. mean, the match rate's always been under 50%. Wow. You know, so, I mean, for every, you know, yeah, I would say maybe 50%. Some years, maybe 60 but it's usually around there. So for every two people that apply, only one will get in, right? So it depends what the demographic's doing too, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if there's now, now there's, you know, there's different people coming into medicine, right? And so, for example, I think there's actually way more females in medicine than there are males mm-hmm. in general. And in general, not saying all the time, I mean, we, we want to have families, we want to have kids, right? Mm-hmm. Orthopedics, not a really great conducive field if you're a woman and you want to have a family because it's a lot of call and it's a mm-hmm. long time. So I think that changes the demographics and yeah. how things are applying. So over time, it might change. That being said, some of the smartest orthopedists I've ever met have been girls. So I mean, it, I don't think it matters if you're a woman or not. Mm-hmm. I just think that that's when you look at the competitiveness. Mm-hmm. It's probably pay, and they're trying to select for a high-achieving person because the boards are tough. Right. That being said, um, you said you do review people for the residency program. Mm. What makes someone stand out? Like how? Can they distinguish themselves from other applicants? Yeah, so I look for somebody that's normal, you know, you know, and so because you get a lot of weirdos with really high step one scores, right? And you know, my wife will probably say I'm weird, like guarantee she's gonna be like, yeah, my husband's weird. Um, but I look for somebody normal. And when I say normal, I look for somebody that I could go to war with, like that I could sit over here and be like, I can trust you to mm-hmm. tell me the truth, to work hard, to not be lazy, and to do the right thing, mm-hmm. right? And then on top of that, you're smart. Mm-hmm. Because then I don't got to worry about if you're dumb, right? <laughs> and so when I look at somebody like that, that's what I'm trying to pick, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want the dude that's like, I mean, maybe I do want somebody who's published 30 papers, but if you can barely hold a conversation with somebody, with a construction worker that has to go home and feed his family mm-hmm. and he has four kids at home and he can barely make things, if you don't have, if you're not in touch with that, you're not going to be to me like a really huge benefit to society in general because mm-hmm. what, what are you what are you uh, what are you providing I mean you're providing a very like detached sort of you know approach to your patient right mm-hmm. and so 
there are there is a lot of that and a lot of those guys end up in academics but you know we're not trying to pick academic surgeons right at least here or in general in my in my perspective i, I never try to pick an academic surgeon mm -hmm. i try to pick a good surgeon and mm -hmm. in general a good surgeon is a good doctor and good doctors are good people right they're not um, they're not the elite, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you may be elite academically, but you you should certainly not be an elite person. You know, right. we're all people, so that's what I look for. I look, I look for somebody that has well is well rounded. I look for somebody that's had a minimum wage job. Mm. I look for somebody that's um, played on a team before. I, I look for I look at people I look at people who have failed in what they were doing and have then succeeded. So, for example, somebody's had a four their entire life. And then they're sitting next to somebody that has equal scores, equal experiences, but that guy was failing mm -hmm. until something happened and then he showed 4.0, I'm gonna pick him. Mm -hmm. Because he has surmounted, he, he's, he's achieved something that the other person may not have ever known. Like right. I was just told to get 4.0s my whole life. Right. You may be smart, but his scores are just the same as you and he went through the muck. Mm -hmm. that, that's what I like, right, is be, for me. Because that person I think is gonna be more resilient in the long run. Yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of resiliency, do you think there are certain personality traits that are important to being an orthosurgeon? I mean, yeah, I mean, we're pretty cocky for the most <laughs> part. Most surgeons you're going to get are going to be cocky. And I, I would maybe soften that term a little bit and say we're very confident. Mm. Um, some of the people that did the worst in, in, re in re either residency here or even in my residency were super timid. Like they're scared, right? And so I think there's a difference between being confident and, and from being uh, cocky and from being careful and from being scared. Yeah. Right. And so our personality, you tend to be, you tend to be a certain personality type. And it, so, you, you know, my, my family, we're, we're, we're a strong Christian family and there's this book called the, um, the treasure tree. I don't know if you, you know, anyways, we read it, we read it to my kids, but essentially it goes over these four personality traits uh -huh. and you got lions, golden retrievers, otters, and beavers. Hmm. And everybody's like some combination of them. Lions are like type A, like my way or the highway. I'm always right. I don't care what you say. I'm going. Okay. Beavers are like OCDs. Like, okay, everything has to be here. I want everything perfection. I, if it's not perfect, I'm not doing anything. Golden mm -hmm. retrievers just want everybody to be happy. That's like your classic family medicine person, right? <laughs> um, and then, uh, then you have the otter uh -huh. who just wants to play. Like, I'm gonna party now. We'll figure it out later, right? And everybody's kind of a combination of it. And I, I am a lion beaver, like. I think I know what the right thing to do is mm -hmm. and I want it to look perfect. Right. That tends to be an orthopedist. They tend to have a decent amount of lion and for the most part beaver because mm -hmm. you got to kind of keep it in line. You got you want it to be perfect, mm -hmm. right? That tends to be an orthopedist. Um, not always, not always, you know, but if you're going to ask for the personality type, that's what you're going to get a lot of type A and OCD. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. Um, and are there what are some myths and stereotypes about your field that you found to be true or untrue? Well, a lot of us are jocks. That's true. Mm -hmm. I swam in college. Most of, a lot, probably the majority of orthopedists played sports, for sure in high school, but a lot mm -hmm. of them in college. Um, most of us are over six foot tall. I mean, if you look at my group <laughs> of 13, I have 13 in my group, I, I want to say there's probably only about maybe two or three of them that aren't six feet or up. Interesting. Um, but that's probably related to the athlete thing, right. I'm, I'm assuming. 
very very male dominated mm-hmm. um but changing mm-hmm. you know uh, but a male it's a male dominated field i think just because one it's surgical and two it's a big dude field i mean mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know if 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 that hammer is not working give me a bigger hammer i mean like, you know it's that's kind of how we kind of think mm-hmm. um yeah so it it's uh that, those are stereotypes mm-hmm. like you know like guys club mm-hmm sports mm-hmm. you know you know you know <laughs> beer and sausages and things like that um and and th- there's a stereotype that, that you're probably gonna ask me which ones do i think are false you're about to ask yes. me that so the false one that i always thought was like oh well you you know you go into orthopedics and you can be stupid right and so i've always thought about because there's a lot of orthopedists that are just like well i don't know i mean you know like what the, the classic orthopedic joke is right well what is the What's the function of the heart? Well, what does the heart do? It pumps blood. You know, it pumps Keflex to the bones, right? It pumps, <laughs> it pumps antibiotics to the bones, right? Then the next question is like, well, what is the function of the kidneys? You filter the blood? You, no, no, no. It filters the antibiotics out of the blood, right? I mean, like, it's stuff like that, right? It's just dumb, dumb, you know, little stereotypes like that that think we're all stupid because there are a lot of orthopedists who are like, well, I don't know how to do that. Tell a medicine guy to do it. I would say that's probably false, and I think that if you have a orthopedist that believes that, then I think they're probably not doing their job as a mm. doctor. I think that we spend a lot of time learning a lot of stuff in medical school, mm-hmm. and what I look at is I, I went to medical school. I pretty much learned everything that you have to know to be an internal medicine doctor, mm-hmm. except I didn't do it in practice. Mm-hmm. Right, so I didn't prescribe the statin. I didn't titrate the freaking blood pressure medicine. I didn't mm-hmm. do that, but I know how they work. Mm-hmm. Right? And then I went and I learned something that you guys learn nothing about in medical school. I learned a crap ton of anatomy and approaches and biomechanics and all this other kind of stuff that you learn nothing about in medical school. Mm-hmm. So I always tell us, like, dude, you're probably just as capable from a theoretic perspective as that internal medicine doctor. Maybe not from like an application perspective, but you better use your brain because you're going to operate this guy. He has an EF of 20 his kidney function is so-and-so and and he's on these medications and you're about to do this, you better have a pretty good idea of how much blood you can lose in this guy and whether or not he's a surgical candidate. Mm. Because if you indicate him for surgery and you take him to the OR and he crumps out, that's your fault. You you made the choice. Even if you send him to the doc and the doc says he's good, what if his primary care doc's not following up? I mean, that that patient's in your hands, right? Right. So I think that is a stereotype that I would... I'd like to believe it's false. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it's probably more a lazy thing and it's a volume thing. You know, mm-hmm. every, you know, everybody's driven to see more and more patients and so it becomes difficult to spend the time to think about those things. I but see. we're relatively a smart specialty. I just think we tend to forget stuff because all we think about are bones and joints. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I just want to move on to a day in your life. Um, so, Tiff, what is a typical day look like for you? Okay, so you want to know my day now or you want to know my day when I started my practice because there's two different things. How about both? Okay, so a typical day when I started my practice. Mm -hmm. I'm a private practice orthopedic surgeon, which is not really common anymore because most people coming out of med school, you guys want to be employed. You guys don't want to be business, you know, you don't want to start your business, worry about taxes, payroll, HR, all this stuff. So I show up, get my paycheck, go home, right? I hate that. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. So I wanted to be in private practice. So I joined this private practice. And um, my normal day when I first started was show up to my clinic and hope that there would be patients there. And maybe I have one or two, maybe oh, yeah. three. 
and then I'd be on call during the day and I might be seeing patients in clinic and somebody would call and be like, this guy's got in a car wreck, we're doing this whatever. And then I'd be like, when I finish clinic, I go to the hospital and fix that guy and then I'd be on call the rest of that night and you know, maybe call me at three in the morning, hey, we got this thing, but I have clinic in that day. So then I would either drive in at three o'clock in the morning and fix that person, and then go to clinic and see patients and then come back wow. to the hospital and clean up call afterwards. It was a lot of that. And you have empty clinics and full clinics and empty clinics and full clinics because you're just starting and nobody's sending you stuff, mm. right? Because we're a referral base. I mean, if you're doing outpatient orthopedics, you need primary care docs to send you shoulder pain, to send yeah. you knee pain because that's what you see, right? Mm -hmm. But you're also taking call to help build your practice because that's how you can build it because you get you know paid for the surgeries you do. Sometimes hospitals will reimburse you to take calls on and so forth. So it's a lot of this trying to give business to you versus if you're employed, a lot of times they'll fill a clinic right. for you, right? You go to Kaiser, here's your clinic. Mm -hmm. You just do it. My day in my life, so I mean, when I first started, I was probably working 80, 90 hours a week, just in and out of the hospital all the time. Just Saturday, Sunday, Sunday through Saturday, mm -hmm. every single week. Now my life is actually pretty nice. I work less than 40 hours a week. Wow. Um, and I see 90% elective shoulders. Mm. Right, so I just I just got back from surgery. I did I did two total shoulders and then a, a hip procedure this afternoon, and I was done by five four forty five or whatever mm -hmm. it is. I had clinic. I saw about thirty patients this morning from about seven forty five to about eleven, right? And so that's my life now. As I show up, I have a full clinic. I see everybody, mm -hmm. and I may not have anything in the afternoon, or I may have a couple surgeries, and then I do surgery all day Tuesday. Mm -hmm. I haven't taken call and four years um, nice. and I don't work on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So I probably have an easier life than most dermatologists, but mm -hmm. I built it that way because I'm in private practice. Mm -hmm. And so I chose time over pay. Right. Um, I make a great living, but I don't want somebody telling me that I have to be on call or mm -hmm. I have to be here. And so that's my life now. I'm really happy with it, but it took me a long time to get there. Yeah. Um, of the patients you see, what is the most common diagnosis or what's the most mm -hmm. common procedure that you do? Now, the most common procedure I do now is a rotator cuff repair. Mm -hmm. You know, so the most common patient I see is shoulder. Mm -hmm. And it's not been my, by choice that I've started doing that. It's just because I think you get really good at certain things or you get facile at certain things and people start sending you more of that. Mm. So I'll still see ACL tears and knee pain and knee arthritis and hip arthritis. But more and more, I think people, at least in the community, primary doctors, whatever, are looking at me as like, oh, okay, well, that's a shoulder. Send it to him. Um, so most of the knees I get are from like some of the schools I take care of. So I do training rooms at schools. Mm -hmm. And so at high schools, I'll go and I'll see kids in the training room mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And so I'll get those ACLs and those ankles and things like that from that. But in general, my most common is just adult shoulder. Got it. Um, so you, for your patient population, you mentioned, so you'd see both kids and adults. Is that mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. And so that was another reason why I wanted to do private med private practice is because, uh, you know, if I went into Kaiser, you know, I'd, I was interviewed by Kaiser when it came out, and um, I just like you know, majority of my family here aren't Kaiser, right? Mm -hmm. And so, let's say my cousin breaks his ankle and he's mm -hmm. gonna get fixed, I can't just tell him, yeah, just come in, I'll fix you, because mm -hmm. he has to go to Kaiser, right? Um, or he's let's say if I was in Kaiser and he's an HMSA patient, Kaiser's not gonna let him in the door. Yeah. And so if I'm this way, I can still see Kaiser patients, mm -hmm. and I can just not charge them, right? And mm -hmm. so, if you're a kid and you know, you don't have access to something. Yeah, just come in. I'll just x-ray. You know, nobody will just take care of you. So a lot more freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
What do you think is the best and the worst part of your job? The best part of my job, I think, is um, is not the surgery part. The surgery part's fun, mm-hmm. but I think the best part of my job is when you know you get you get those patients that come back that are really you know that are really happy and they were, they say you know thank you so much you made a big difference in my life. That 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 has become probably the most the best part of my job, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's actually been it's actually it's quite common because of the way my practice has been built now right is i'm doing a lot of elective stuff that mm-hmm. have a lot of quality of life things built in right mm-hmm. and so somebody's shoulder arthritis right you replace their shoulder to recover from that take them a while six months eight months nine months but they get to the end and they have zero pain in their shoulder you can go play pickleball whatever they're doing right and they go do, do their deal so that's probably the best thing um surgery's fun but that gets old over time because it gets repetitive mm-hmm. and every once in a while you get a real hard case and that gets exciting mm-hmm. but um i think the worst part of my job honestly is either and this is a toss-up <laughs> is insurance and the government okay or hospital administration one of the two <laughs> okay and those two things have in common that somebody's telling me what to do <laughs> so <laughs> that's probably if you haven't figured that out I don't like being told what right. to do, but those one of those two things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it it it, it drives me mm-hmm. insane. Um, I kind of get the insurance part, but for the hospital administration, um, how like what is your relationship with them? Like, do you still how closely do you work with them since you have your own practice? Yeah, I have my own practice. I have my own or- ORs. Mm-hmm. So we actually built our own surgery center. So. We're the bosses of that too, so we own our own OR. So mm-hmm. really, ninety percent of what I do is just <laughs> I can I can decide what I want to do, which is why I get super spoiled. But I still have to go to the hospital. I get somebody sick. Mm-hmm. Certain insurances like Medicare, certain things I can't take. You know, so if I do a total shoulder, Medicare won't pay for the implants if they're done at our place. They only uh, pay for the implants at a hospital. That's a perfect example of okay. being dumb, right? Because you're gonna go to the hospital, and that case will cost Medicare three times as much as it'll cost at our place. We mm. do it cheaper, mm. but they won't pay for our implants at our place. And so they'll rather, you know, it's just dumb. But I interact with hospital admin because, you know, I'm having to book surgeries. And so, you know, I'll have one or two days a week, a month where I'll go to the hospital and, you know, I'll be, a perfect example is I'll have, let's say I'll have four shoulder replacements in a day. And between case one and case two, the hospital delays me for whatever reason. They can't, they didn't cook one of the trays long enough or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Turnover of a room or whatever. I'm, and so now I'm delayed by two hours. Well, now that fourth case is going to be delayed by two hours. And then we're going to hit the witching hour, which is about three o'clock. And so instead of being downstairs in the same day, you're going to be like, oh, you know, our, our nurses have to go home at three. So we're going to move you upstairs to the main OR. And then you get bumped until 7 or 8 o'clock at night because traumas come in or they don't want to bring the call team in. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that that are out of your control, right? That just drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's why the admin stuff, like all the rules at a hospital Mm -hmm. are just crazy. It's kind of like the tails wagging a dog, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing, you know? Okay, so the next set of questions was about your practice setting. Mm. So I think we've kind of talked about it, Mm -hmm. but can you just elaborate a little bit more about your practice setting and how it compares to other places you have previously practiced? So this is my only practice I've had since I got out of training, but my my practice settings, you know, outpatient office, you know, so you go into a building and you go in the elevator and you look, Kyle Chun, (laughs) suite seven, oh, okay, okay, over there. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm one of 13 in a group. Mm -hmm. So we have a massive office and we share clinics, right? And so I may only be in, we have four sites. So we got town, Kaneohe, YPO, and Hilo, Mm -hmm. right? And so I spend Monday, Wednesday in YPO because I'm from Waihewa. I'd Mm -hmm. rather be out there. Friday morning in town and Thursday I go to Hilo Mm. um, just because I have a lot of family out there and I, I love going out there. And so I'll just, you know, I come in and I'm in that clinic and, you know, my other partner might have been in there in the morning, whatever. So we're sharing clinic space. Mm-hmm. And I have an office in YPO, you know, it's like a desk with my books and mm-hmm. pictures of my kids and all this kind of stuff. Um, differing setting was just residency. That's mm-hmm. all I had before then. And so, I mean, that's, you know, my residency was a massive residency. Um, there was six, seven hospitals we covered and um, it depends what hospital you're at. I mean, you know, call rooms and freaking cafeterias and just gross you know i mean just getting just getting punished for five years and, and just smushed down you know um so because you have offices in like town and ypo and hilo uh what are your thoughts on practicing in more like rural areas oh i there? love it you love it freaking love it yeah and so i mean it's i absolutely hate town i can't stand it i you know i mean my wife always laughs at me because i was homesick at uh because i wasn't in waihawa Mm. which is kind of crazy but I was you know I was like I literally felt sick because I wasn't in the country and um I I would uh I would in a heartbeat move my practice to the middle of nowhere like I mean I've I've literally tried to get to the big island I don't know how many times because you know we have family there I spent a lot of my childhood there and um just to get the heck out of Oahu because it's crazy I mean it's just insane I mean I think Rural medicine is awesome. It's hard to do what I do in a mm. rural setting because I could go, but I'm not going to have this practice. Right. Right. And so I'm going to go. I'm going to take call. I'm going to have to do hip replacements, knee replacements, finger fractures, all kinds of stuff, which I'm okay with. Mm-hmm. But it's actually pretty fun to be really good at one thing mm-hmm. because then people come to seek you out for it and your outcomes get really good right right and so the more specialized you get this is why medicine specializes because you get extremely good at certain things especially in the subspecialties so you know you go into general surgery and you say i'm going to be a breast surgeon right you get really good at dissecting out lymph nodes and catching those cancers right mm-hmm. versus if i'm a generalist doing appies and gallbladders and all this stuff and i do an occasional breast i might miss a couple nodes right mm-hmm. so you're going to go to the person that's operating on 800 breasts a year because she's going to catch everything mm-hmm. you know and so it's a practice choice lifestyle you know thing i think that if i went straight into a really rural setting yeah. as opposed to the group i'm in now straight off from the beginning mm-hmm. it would be different because i'd be used to it mm-hmm. but i kind of got a taste of this now mm-hmm. and it's kind of like well what do you hate more you know <laughs> like having to be the jack of all trades or living near a city mm-hmm. you know and uh i mean how many of you guys are married None. how many of you guys have kids None. okay so <laughs> you know so i was married in med school so i got i got married i got married four days after step one wow. right how many how much time did he give you off now uh, eight weeks six weeks eight weeks right okay so i they gave us like six so i took it like three days in right? <laughs> so I, I took the test three days in of the study period and then I got married like about four or five days after, and I had like a month off. Oh, it was the crazy. best ever. <laughs> it was the best ever. So yeah, I mean, do that. You should do that. <laughs> no, you totally should because br- when else in the rest of your life you're gonna be able to do that? People 
When do you get off from? In March. You've been off since March? Mm -hmm. And then what happens from May through June? Through June? June is when they start their training. Oh, so you got to take it. Ah, oh, they squeeze you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they didn't do that to us. We, we started right when you could. Then you could take it kind of whenever. It was, it was the best thing ever. But <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> uh, we were talking about the, your perspectives on rural medicine. Rural how medicine. How and then you then to Oh, yeah, still. Okay, yes. You got married. Oh, right, right. So, no, no. So the reason I asked you about kids, not to be weird, but it's, um, but there's a, there, there's a big difference in when you raise children of like, you know, and I, I always wanted to raise my kids in the country. I grew up riding my bike in the cane fields and stuff like that. And it, I thought it was great. I mean, I'd grab my pellet gun and a peanut butter jelly sandwich and disappear all Saturday. Right? Nobody would care where I was as long as I got home for dinner. Mm -hmm. um, but my wife grew up in a more city type stuff, real active sports. I uh, played volleyball at UH, did all this stuff. And, you know, she wanted a little bit more things for her kids. And I get it. I totally get it. You kind of want your kids to have some opportunities. We wanted to be around a good church. We want to do all these things, which those things kind of come into play when you, mm -hmm. when you start looking for where you're going to live or where you're going to train and stuff. But I, I do think that if I started mm -hmm. rural, it would be easy, mm -hmm. right? Because then you're just like, yeah, somebody calls you. You, you just, that's what you do, right? Mm -hmm. But now there's, it's so controlled and it's so dialed right now mm -hmm. that it's almost one of those things that you're like, dude, can I ever leave this practice? Because it is so smooth, mm. you know? So I think if you do, I, I think rural is great. Like yeah. I, I would encourage anybody to do that, especially if you're kind of a self-sustaining person that wants to just, you know, Take care of a small community. Go to the grocery store and see your patients. Like mm -hmm. that kind of stuff's awesome, right? Mm -hmm. It happens in Waihoa in Waipio. It doesn't happen here for me, right? Because I, I, I don't like town, but I, I'll go to Costco in Waipio and mm -hmm. like I'll see like, I'll at least three, four people. Hey doc, hey doc, hey doc, like that, right? Because it's smaller, right? Those people stay in that area, right? Mm -hmm. Town's real, you know, big and mm -hmm. moving, you know, and stuff. Yeah. So I, I think rural medicine's great. Okay. Um Thank you for sharing that. I think um, we wanted to move on to lifestyle. So mm. you also talked about this, but do you have work-life balance and <laughs> do you have enough time outside of your practice? I probably take too many vacations. <laughs> I think um, on an average year, I probably take close to 12 weeks of vacation, somewhere around there. Wow. So probably, I mean, not all at one crack, uh -huh. you know, but I'll take two weeks here and three weeks there, or, you know, week here, a couple of long weekends around stuff. You know, my kids are um, 8, 10, and 12, mm -hmm. and um, they're only going to be like that for not long, right? And so I just try to make sure I spend as much time with them. I probably play more than I work, um, and that's okay because I don't, I don't really need that much money. Mm -hmm. I don't um, pay, I, I don't like thinking about money. I don't like, and it's important to think about it, but I don't, I don't look at money and like, think about okay I should be investing this or buying this real estate or whatever mm -hmm. I, I look at it like okay I'm gonna save enough so I can retire I'm gonna pay our mortgage you know whatever the kids need stuff like I make sure I got a crap ton of life insurance because if I die I don't want my wife to ever be strung out so I always tell her I was like if you want to make more money just kill me because you make more <laughs> right because there's enough life insurance that she'll probably make more income if I die right and so I mean it's just stuff like that but um the um the work-life balance, I think, is is very, very important. Mm -hmm. I think, like, you know, physicians, you know, a generation ahead of us, I think it was, 
you know, I always look at it, it's kind of a nostalgic sort of look at medicine when you look at it and you think to yourself, okay, well, look at these guys are devoting their entire life to the care of their mm -hmm. patients, right? And then you look at a lot of their kids and they're like pissed off at their dad or their mom or whatever and they're divorced and all this other kind of stuff, right? And I, I want my kids to like, I want my kids to be able to look at, look at their mom and dad and be like, okay, like that is what a marriage should look like, mm. you know? And, and to be able to look at um, me and be like, oh, you know, yeah, my dad was kind of rough and he was super strict and kind of gnarly, but I knew he loved me and he spent the time with me. Mm -hmm. And so that stuff's important to me, the, the, the found those family sort of things. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that, you know, we spend the time with them in church. I want to make sure we spend the time with them outside, yeah. regardless of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but that's more important to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that playing has a lot to do with that, yeah. you know. Um, and I got to play a lot too. I mean, like I, you know, I, I really do because it's a relatively stressful job. Mm -hmm. You know, there's complications. People try to sue you, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And so it is stressful. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I get out and play a lot, mm -hmm. you know. That's just, I, I would encourage anybody to do that. It seems like you have a pretty good balance um, of play to work. Did you ever struggle with burnout? Um, and if you did, what techniques did you use to identify it and to counteract it? I have two examples of that. One is more um, probably on a relational level and the other is actually work. Mm -hmm. So the work burnout was, I don't remember when it was, but I started getting bored with what I did it wasn't that it, I was doing so much it was just I was getting bored like mm -hmm. it wasn't stimulating anymore and still there are times when it's not stimulating but I think that was more like a and it happened around the same time as more of the personal thing but it was it was I think it was an offshoot of you know if my home life with my family isn't healthy and being nourished and me paying attention to that then mm -hmm. that bleeds over into my work mm -hmm. and so when I'm a good husband and I'm a good father mm -hmm. I'm a good surgeon right when I'm not this I don't like to work because mm -hmm. I can't because this is my priority and it'll bleed over into that and so that leads to the second example which is more really a function of stuff that you guys will, will experience when you guys go into your training mm -hmm. um, you know so I, I had a question to ask you how many of you guys are married and you guys are, have kids you know I, I I was with my wife from college um, and we got married and you know after step one you know we she was pregnant with our first when I graduated you know medical school mm -hmm. So we move up to Seattle and, um, you know, we go to residency and I'm getting kicked in the face for five years and we have all three of our kids in residency. And so she went boom, 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 right? So she had the first one, my R1 year, our second, my R3 year and our third, my R5 year, wow. right? And so I'm cranking over here and she's cranking at home, mm -hmm. right? We have no family in Seattle, mm -hmm. zero. We got some friends from Hawaii that we made, but really she raised these kids on her own, right? So we do this and we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, it's training. It'll be, everything will be fine when we move back home. Everything will be fine. We go to LA, do my fellowship. Yeah, it's kind of a junk year. LA sucks. And then, <laughs> then you know, nobody's from LA, right? No. Okay, LA sucks. Don't go to LA. And then, what is that? I don't like LA. It's freaking horrible. Yeah, it's and it's worse now. But, um, but uh, then we get home, right? And I'm like, okay, everything's going to be good I joined the premier group I'm gonna be like the best surgeon I'm gonna teach at the med school do all this stuff and you wake up one morning and you look at your wife and you're like I don't even know who you are and she looks at you and she's like I don't even know who you are because you didn't spend five or six years mm. connecting because I was over there just trying my hardest to be the best surgeon she could be 
and she's over here trying the hardest to be the best mom she could be and there wasn't a lot of this right mm -hmm. and so that was a huge burnout yeah. right that took a lot of the wind out of my sail and mm -hmm. so we dealt with that for a couple of years like we went to counseling we did all this other kind of stuff and thank God we, we came through it. I mean, if it wasn't for our faith and just for the fact that we had been together for so long, mm -hmm. like, I mean, it would have been hard. It, you can see how people get divorced, yeah. right? Um, but it would have been the worst thing in the world that happened to me at all, and by all means. And we're so much better for it now. Mm -hmm. We are. But that's when I had the burnout is mm -hmm. because it wasn't so much the job. Mm -hmm. It was that my personal life was not balanced out. And then that bled into my job. And so mm -hmm. I think people overlooked that and they're like, oh, I'm burnt out at work. It's like, well, what's happening at home? Like, what's happening with your relationships with your with your wife and your kids and your loved ones? Because that stuff bleeds over into your yeah. work, like, more than you can even imagine. Wow, that's a very interesting perspective, I think. Oh, I mean, because it, it happened. <laughs> yeah. And it's 100% true. That's the only time that I looked and I was like, I freaking hate work. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to go anymore. Mm -hmm. like, it's not like I love it. I'd rather go hunt or I'd rather go fish. <laughs> but, like, I don't mind going. I see my patients yeah. and, you know, I get to do pretty cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I get to cut shoulders open and replace them and it's pretty neat right mm -hmm. but man if it's not going good and it you know with the people that are important to you and the people you love and word life ain't worth living yeah. you know and, and nothing will change that mm -hmm. okay so the next set of questions is about the changing nature of medicine mm. so over the time that you've been in practice um, how has medicine changed over the years and then specifically, how has these changes affected um, your practice and the field of orthosurgery? I don't really think that I can see a clear or tangible change, at least in the, I won't even in practice, I just, I'm coming up on finishing my seventh year mm -hmm. in practice. So I haven't been, it's not like I'm a super weathered orthopedic surgeon, you mm -hmm. know. Um, I've, I've noticed that more and more people are being employed Mm. I think, and it's probably more of a generational thing. I think docs coming out of training don't want to deal with the business side of medicine because um, you don't learn it, you know, and it's a lot of headache. It really mm -hmm. is. Um, and I think maybe it's a generational thing where people don't really care about having the control mm -hmm. and rather just have that, you know, you talk about that work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And I think you see a lot more of that in the changing field is there a lot of people looking at orthopedics like, well, how can I have a good work-life balance? Mm -hmm. And that leads to an employed model mm -hmm. because then the hospital or the group or whatever can say, okay, well, we're going to pay you this uh, this here. This is what you have to do. Everything else is up to you. You yeah. can do whatever you want. And so it's, you kind of go to work and you leave work, mm -hmm. right? And so that typically is attractive to a lot of people, I think, that want that balance, right? And mm -hmm. I, I think that is a generational thing. That That's a the millennial sort yes. of thing, right? <laughs> what everybody says, right? Technically, by, by year of bo being born, I'm a millennial, but I'm not. I, I, ref I refuse that. I, 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 I deny that, right? But by definition, I'm like the very first year of the millennial. Mm -hmm. um, but I tend to think differently. I, mm -hmm. I'm an old soul. I tend, I'm a lot more country, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I just think like that, right? Yeah. So that's what I've seen is that there's kind of a trend towards more of institutionalization large and you know hospital admin groups mm -hmm. running things this big machines right yeah. that really kind of move the pieces as opposed to a bunch of like private guys kind of yeah. just taking care of smaller communities i think that in a rural setting i think you probably see less of that but even these big places are like reaching out into the rural area you know we mm -hmm. have like a queen satellite clinic here or like a hbh satellite mm -hmm. thing here or whatever right the main i mean the mainland is littered with them right and so yeah. That's what I've seen mostly. Um, insurance stuff, mm -hmm. you know, 
the same old is pay you less, make you work more. But, you know, we all make enough money. We're okay. <laughs> um, kind of circling back to what you said earlier. So you said you joined the this big practice that was already in place. Um, but do you still have to deal a lot with the business aspect of medicine? And, like, how involved are you? And, like, what role does it play? And how can people learn about it if they are interested in learning about it? Yeah, so so you got a couple models, right? You got the Kaiser model mm-hmm. where you're an employee. Then you got, which is going to be similar, like let's say you work for Queens or Straub or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're an employee. Then you got these hybrid models where it might be like a Straub sort of thing where like, well, we're going to financially support you that up to a certain amount you can make what you eat, what you kill above a certain amount. Mm-hmm. And then you have the private groups. And then within that, you have a couple different models. You have some groups that are like, well, we're going to share revenue and then everybody's getting a certain amount of base pay, then depending on their productivity, will get paid more. Mm. Then you got places like ours, which is essentially a big group that functions just like a solo practice, where it's like, okay, we're gonna share overhead, but everybody else, you only, you take home what you make. Mm. So if you are gonna take a three week vacation, you have to pay all your staff and you're not gonna make any money, you're not gonna, probably not gonna get a paycheck that month, right? Mm. Um, so that's how we're built. And so we have 13 separate corporations. And so we have what's called a limited liability partnership, which is an umbrella pass-through sort of legal entity. So all the tax, all, all the tax ID number and the billing come through the LLP, mm-hmm. passes through, and then goes out to each corp, right? Mm-hmm. So then I have my my S corp. So I have Kyle Chun Kyle Chun MD Incorporated mm-hmm. that now has its tax ID, and then I, you know, I bill and I collect through that, and I have mm-hmm. my accounts receivable and accounts billable. And that comes through, and then I pay my shared overhead. So for our whole billing office, our rent, our lines of credit, all that kind of stuff, that goes out, right? Mm-hmm. And then my personal staff, so my nurses, that goes out, and then I pay myself as the sole employee of my corporation. Mm. And so the day-to-day is day-to-day. I mean, like, I write checks. I communicate with my accountants. I figure out... I set up my own retirement. I set up my own IRAs. I set up my own, you know, profit sharing. I sh- set up all of that stuff, mm-hmm. right? I do all my corporate auto stuff. I do all of that because mm-hmm. I'm the president, treasurer, secretary, everything. I have all the shares of my company. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times where I need either extra help with, you know, with certain things, and maybe I, I hire my wife. Mm-hmm. So I bring my wife and I hire her for certain things because that helps us, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I got a lot of freedom with that, but the day-to-day is, yeah, it's, it's a day-to-day. I mean, I answer a lot of emails and stuff. I have to send all my receipts. Mm-hmm. You know, I have corporate cards that I do certain things on. I got to send my cell phone stuff in to my accountants, all that kind of stuff, everything, right? Mm-hmm. And I do that, and I have a system, and then yeah. I just do it every first of the month come out, itemize my credit card bill, label everything, this is gas, this is travel expense, this is parking, mm-hmm. oh, this was a meeting that I paid for food for, Oh, this was a this was a uh, residency interview that I did this whatever, and I send that to the accountants, and they you know mm-hmm. I had to buy new f- shoes for clinic. I mean stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, but to learn about it, yeah. I mean, unless you're a business accounting uh, undergrad person in med school, you don't learn nothing about this. You might have like a short little thing saying, "Oh, the business of medicine, ha ha ha." Yeah, but you know, until you actually sit over there and they're like, "Okay, here's the amount of tax you have to pay this year." Can you please write me a freaking, you know, $80,000 check every three months or something like that? And you're sitting there like, are you freaking for real? Like, or, you know, whatever the amount of money it is, right? 
until you actually sit in there, it takes about two or three years to so actually figure it out. And you're mm-hmm. like, and still I'm learning stuff. Mm-hmm. And the tax codes change every year. Mm-hmm. That's why you have to have a good accountant. You don't want to get audited. This stuff. But all of that headache, I kid you not, is worth it. Mm-hmm. It is worth it because I can decide Sunday afternoon, I can call my nurse and be like, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. I'll cancel everybody. And it will happen. Right? Like, I am in 100% control of my life. Mm-hmm. And nobody can pay me more. You cannot pay me enough for that. Wow. Okay. Um, so, last set of questions is just like giving advice. Mm. So, can you speak to the need for orthopedic surgeons in Hawaii and what makes practicing in Hawaii unique? So, we're kind of flooded. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of one of the few specialties that we have a lot of. Mm-hmm. Um, most outdoor places are like that because orthopedists tend to be athletic, six foot plus dudes, right? right? And we want to do stuff outside. We want to fish, we want to hunt, we want to play basketball, we want to surf, blah, 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 whatever, mm-hmm. right? So you look at all these outdoor places, they're flooded with orthopedists. Mm-hmm. You know, the entire West Coast, Idaho, Montana, um, Hawaii, uh, Florida, Texas, mm-hmm. flooded with orthopedists because there's a crap ton of stuff to do outside. Mm-hmm. Places don't have too much orthopedists. Iowa. Nebraska, right? There are, but not unless you're from there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people don't relocate to there, right? Mm-hmm. So we are flooded mm-hmm. with orthopedists. That being said, you can come here and make a name for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you do good work, you take good care of people, and you, you do a good job. You're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there a need? No. Um, should I say don't come? No, come. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, serve your community, especially mm-hmm. if you're from here. Mm-hmm. Come come home, you know, and and work and do a good job and take care of take care of your family and your friends and all that kind of stuff and you know you'll make a you'll make a good living it's just you you'll have a little bit hard it won't be like the floodgates open mm-hmm. you know because you're gonna come back and you're gonna compete with the all of me's right mm-hmm. and i'm not even i'm not saying i'm the best i'm just saying there's a lot of me out there right mm-hmm. there's a lot of me that um are grinding just like you are right mm-hmm. and there's only a certain amount of people you know that can an orthopedist they say like something like the number is like 10,000 people per orthopedist mm. right and what's the population of Hawaii now 1.2 sure somewhere around there yeah so theoretically right mm-hmm. you can have a lot of orthopedists in that but we do we have a ton of orthopedists you know so it's it's uh I don't think it's something to deter I just think it's yeah it is what it is mm-hmm. we all retire and we <laughs> And then is there something that you know now that you wish you knew earlier in your training? Mm, mm, I don't think so. I mean, I kind of knew what I was getting into mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, well, uh, well, taxes. But I mean, <laughs> but how are you going to get away from that? Uh-huh. Right? I mean, you can't. I mean, unless you, you know. Yeah, you guys should all lobby, by the way. Like the Senate passed the, did you guys see that? The Senate passed a 5% income tax hike for the state. Oh. Yeah, wait for that. That's going to go to the House. If that thing doesn't get shut down, that's 5% on top of everything. That's a ton of money. Wait for it. It's not too bad now because you guys probably don't pay taxes. <laughs> I remember too. I didn't really give a rip about taxes. And all of a sudden you get out you're like, holy crap. Like, I wish I really knew. Like, if I knew how much taxes were, I might live in a non-tax state. Interesting. It's that much. Mm. It's it's impressive. Mm-hmm. Right? And then, like, my, my kids don't go to Punahou or Lani or anything. Nothing against that. If any of you guys went there, 
but I ain't about to pay $28,000 for my kids to go to school. But I mean, if you're looking at that, let's say you got three kids, right? So you're taking like 90 grand a year mm-hmm. post tax dollar, right? And you're, you're getting, we're the only state that has GET tax, the only one, and that's 5% off the top, plus your state, plus your federal. And now you're paying 90 grand a year post tax, that's 180 off the top. You're gonna essentially work like close to like seven months, eight months of the year just to pay the government and pay tuition for your kids. That's not even your mortgage. That's not even your retirement. <laughs> that's the government and your kids. That's what that is. Frick that. <laughs> I reject that. <laughs> that's what I wish I knew. But freaking, I knew about death. I didn't know about taxes. <laughs> okay. And then our last question. Um, do you have any last pieces of advice or wisdom to share with a student interested in orthopedics? Oh, yeah. Do it, man. It's super fun. Um, uh, if you're from here, don't train here. Hmm. If you want to come back here, don't train here. Like I, I uh, you know, I, 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 I teach some of the residents. I'm not as involved as I used to be, but it is go to the best program you can possibly go to and see as much stuff as you can. I would say that to anybody here is train on the mainland. Mm-hmm. Just go somewhere to mainland, train on the mainland because get trained elsewhere, get smart and bring it back here and just up the game here because it is so inbred. Like the, the medicine here is so inbred, it's like not even funny. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that goes for every specialty, but yeah, for anybody wanting to do orthopedics, study your butt off, get a really good step one score, do a little bit of research, make sure you're well-rounded, don't be weird, and go to a, and go to a really good program. Go yeah. to the best program you possibly can go to because you will be better off and you will serve your patients better and it will serve you better in the long run to go to the best program you can go to and that best program is not here now if you got family here and you got to stay here because mom's sick or whatever it is i totally get it i totally get it and you'll get trained and you'll be okay but that would be my advice to go go to the mainland go to the best program you can go to Mm -hmm. for all you guys i don't Mm -hmm. know what you guys are you guys are all gonna do orthopedics now yeah well, yeah, you, you guys, you guys, you guys, no, I, the male thing really, I mean, you know, like one of, yeah, there was this four foot 11 resident that was, she was my chief. She was my chief resident when I was a one, one or two. Her name was Raj, Raj, Raj Maheshwari. She was like, she was Indian. Dude, she was like four eleven. Nobody messed with her. Bro, this ch- like, I remember one time I was trying to reduce a hip. I was trying to put a hip back in, like, in the ER. I'm freaking, bro. I'm standing on top of the bed. I'm, like, you know, like, <laughs> trying to pull this thing in because, you know, all, all like, the the ER residents are all looking at me like, oh, God, oh, this works. I, well, I thought they were thinking that. <laughs> they are probably looking at me like, oh, this guy's such a freaking idiot. I couldn't get it in, couldn't get it in, couldn't get it in. Raj, can't get this in. She's like, frick. So she comes downstairs, and she just uses some leverage and doop, puts it in freaking grabs her coat and walks with him like, <laughs> you know like you know so I, you don't gotta be six feet you're asking me for stereotypes like, <laughs> like, yeah yeah so no you guys are all gonna be orthopedists now best job in the world okay thank you so much for talking with us today um <laughs> learned a lot i enjoyed <laughs> your stories yeah. um and we will consider becoming orthopedists right <laughs> right and you sound real serious yeah it's like what's up what's up one of your most like complex or like surprising cases that you've had uh 
so I like trauma because it's always different. I don't do it anymore because it happens at 11 o'clock at night. Um, and I like to sleep because I'm getting older. And I, don't, I like to have dinner with my children. And so I don't want somebody to call me at 5 o'clock. You got to come in right now and do this. So trauma's fun. But if you're going to say like one of my most like the comp- complex ones that I think about a lot would be like lower extremity osteotomies. So like realignments. And so people that have like genu valgum, which means like a bull leg or genu valgum knock knee or genu varum, like a bull egg. And let's say they got like a, they don't, you know, they, they have a, they had a subtotal meniscectomy. Somebody took out all their meniscus and maybe they got some cartilage stuff and they don't have an ACL or something like to do like an osteotomy where you're like, okay, I'm going to cut your femur in half. I'm going to calculate the, um, the size of the wedge that I have to put in there to line up your mechanical axis to pass through a certain part of your knee. And then I'm going to change your slope through your knee too. So you don't actually need your ACL because you're going to be stable. And then I'm going to do a transplant of your meniscus, like that kind of stuff. That's kind of like a sort of like a mental mind screw a little bit because you have to sit there and do math and like math works all the time. It always works like two plus two will always be four, you know, and so it's, you know, it's kind of like guys will always be guys, no matter if you feel like something, you know, like, like two plus two will always be four, right? And so that's, that's, I like that stuff, because it makes you think, you know, and so when you have to think about stuff, and, and then you get your post-op films, and they're the things like spot on, I mean, it's so bad for my ego. (laughs) No, yeah, it just makes you think that you're so much cooler than you are, you know, like you go home to high five yourself, and everybody's doesn't know why <laughs> but dude i tell you man if you can have self-love it's all good dude it's freaking it get you going i tell you what are you guys going into what are you going into don't say that what are you going into if you had to choose right now you're so you're surgery. so gonna go into internal medicine <laughs> what are you going into you can, but then that means you're going into internal medicine. Um, I guess if I had to choose now, I'd probably just do sleep apnea again. Something in between. Oh, the bleeding heart. The bleeding heart. <laughs> Ophthalmology. Yeah, there you go. Eyeballs. <laughs> oh, I hate eyeballs. I tried to do eyeballs for a little while. <laughs> another good, another good, good feel. That's a that's a surgical residency. Mm-hmm. You get your face kicked in on that one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it, that's kind of a weird that's kind of a weird. Um, specialty because other than retina you're not really on call yeah but retina call is like freaking real call like you have to come in and do it right now mm-hmm. you know like retinal detachment and stuff mm-hmm. like that do you know how they fix those no this is the coolest thing tell us? yes it's, it's the freaking coolest thing because it's kind of science and gravity and math a little bit so your retina falls off the back right they freaking inject a bubble in your eyeball and then tell you to lay face down for a couple of weeks and the bubble floats up and holds the freaking retina against the back while it heals. Interesting. How smart was that dude that figured that out? <laughs> inject a bubble. I'm going to inject a bubble in your eyeball. Why? Because it's going to float. <laughs> well, then what? Then we're going to put you face down. So then it's going to push the retina back up. That's crazy. <sighs> freaking genius, right? And then your body just absorbs the bubble. Oh, yeah, that's the sucky part. But it's better than being blind. It's true. Right? 
Yeah. So now you guys are all gonna do ophthalmology. Wait. So is it like a hard procedure? <laughs> I don't know. I don't fix eyeballs. <laughs> I just I just remember like, I remember talking to some patients. They're like, oh yeah, sorry, I couldn't get my shoulder done. I was like, why? I was like, oh, I had a detached retina. It's like, what do they do? Dude, they injected a bubble. In my <laughs> so I kind of started thinking. I was like, what the hell did that do? Then they're like, oh, and I had to lay flat. And I was like, oh, that motherfucker like floats to the top. <laughs> Right? And then when you start thinking about that kind of stuff, it's pretty cool. So like something that I do now, so I consult for a, a company. Mm -hmm. So I, I do implant design now. Mm -hmm. So that gets my yayas going because then I can think. Mm -hmm. So I have maybe like five or six patents going right now. And wow. so stuff like that. So that stuff is fun. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that's kind of like the extension off of things that you do. Right? So when you get into even in internal medicine or things that you've found, you know, peas, you're going to, I would encourage you guys, if you see things that can be better, like figure out a better way to do it and 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 freaking make money off it i mean you you're smart like you got into medicine for a reason like don't make the freaking engineers or the computer guys do that stuff don't don't go to your hospital i'm in admin and be like yeah i had this idea like freaking do it on your own like you know like there's there's ways to do that stuff right mm -hmm. and so like use your noodle don't just be like oh, it's like you're just everybody's smart here you know like don't be dumb it's hard, but don't be dumb. <laughs> what is that? So you do like your your clinic, and then you like teach, and then you design stuff. Is that? Yeah. So like I'll like I'll like what? Is, like, so I was sitting on a plane the other day, right? So Interesting. Yeah, it's your fault. <laughs> so like this sits next to my bed because I usually get it at night, right, when I'm laying in bed. But like I have like all of this crap, right? So. Like I'll, I'll draw these things, right? So I'll come up and be like, oh, we should have this anchor that does this. And then when you do this, it'll tighten this. Or like, like, dude, this stuff happens like at wow. like 2 o'clock in the morning, dude. It's crazy. Like all of this stuff. This is like years and years of stuff. I mean, it's like measurements. I mean, it's that kind of do stuff. Like I don't like it, but it works, right? And so, I mean, I'm not an engineer. I'm not. I'm but I kind of understand how it works, right? Because two plus two equals what? Four, right? And so when you do this stuff, you're kind of like, well, if that, you know, it's going to do it every time, right? So, I mean, that, that's another part of medicine, too, that you can get into, right? You don't have to do research or whatever like that. You can get into, like, innovation and stuff. And if you guys are good at computers, you guys are... I'm horrible at computers. Like, I couldn't write programs, like, software. You know, like, there's people in, like, internal medicine stuff get, like, filthy rich off of writing, like random little app things and soft and software and things like that and it's not about making the money mm -hmm. but it's a good extension of what you can do right and so i always told my wife i was like one of these implants takes off and you become independently wealthy mm -hmm. i would see like eight patients a week but only the hardest crap stuff that nobody could pay me to do right so there's somebody without insurance that has bad stuff like mm -hmm. and i'll fix you and you just do that. You imagine how fun that would be? Like spend that much time, spend an hour with somebody and just trying to figure out how to fix this thing and be like, you don't have to pay me. We're just going to fix you, right? Yeah. That kind of stuff. That would be super fun. So you know, think about it. A lot, of, a lot of stuff in medicine. You, you guys are in a great field. You're going to love it. Just don't let the government tell you what to do. <laughs> and that was Dr. Chun. Thank you for tuning in to Doc's Talk Story and we hope you were able to gain something from our conversation. Join us next time as we continue to journey through the stories of different specialists. And don't forget to head on over to our website to give us your feedback and input on who you'd like to hear from next. Thank you.